and after a 90-day absence, Harsh Truths Podcast returns. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for sticking around and continuing to uh, listen to the podcast. I greatly apologize for such an extended absence. Originally, I was just going to take July off and enjoy the summer, but uh, at the end of July, I realized that my beloved dog, Mazer had some health issues that took a front seat and... Uh, throughout August and September, I've just been so focused on his recovery and our move back to beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. But uh, we're here now, and we're going to get back to a regular release schedule. I uh, have some really exciting guests coming up in the future that I think everyone's going to enjoy. I want to thank everyone who sent messages, uh, gave me money, uh, sent a lot of tapes my way during... um, Mazer's recovery. Uh, we had a GoFundMe page, and within an hour, I had met the goal for it. And uh, I'm happy to say that he is uh, back to his usual self, and that means that uh, I'm able to focus a little bit more and, and not be such a uh, distressed individual. So uh, this month, uh, we're we're going back in the archive a little bit to 2015 when I sat down with Grant from Nod and, and had a great discussion with him. If you've ever had a chance to be around Grant, you know that he's got this amazing magnetic personality and an incredible ability to to tell stories and to just kind of control a room in a way. And so uh, I was glad to capture a little bit of that magic uh, and and, and deliver it to you guys. So uh, without any further ado, uh, here we go with Grant from Nod. Grant, welcome to the podcast. Here I am. Um. I'm trying to think of where we should start. I suppose we can start with uh, just a little bit about yourself, just in some general general information, you know. Um, well, so I'm from Minneapolis, um, and there I uh, uh, do cool stuff. I have a cool job. I'm a welder, uh, fabricator for a haunted house company. That is um, pretty cool. And so I get a, a, like my creative rocks off there. And then musically, uh, I'm an audio engineer. I've been recording bands for about a decade now. And then... Uh, I do my own stuff. Gnawed. How old are you? I'm 28. 28. Wow. Um, how long have you been a welder? Um, uh, a few years. Few um, years. I've, I've dabbled in, like, you know, wire feed welding since, like, high school. But um, I've not had a, you know, formal education in it ever. But now I'm in, like, a fabrication-type uh, job where I can actually, like, learn a lot. And uh, it's pretty cool. My roommate and coworker is like he's a really good welder. He's a like a he went he uh, three year program and uh, he worked for like a huge fab company for four years before he got the job that I currently work at. So he's taught me a a lot in an informal setting. Okay, um, is this like the first like quote unquote real job? Yeah, that yeah. You've had like just kind of bullshit stuff before this. Well, yeah, before I was just working in the food industry and um, sure. did like uh, bike delivery and stuff. So yeah, I think maybe when we first met, you were you were still doing bike. Delivery I was yeah, I was stuff. slinging subs for Jimmy John's. Yeah. Worked there for eight years, I think. <laughs> well, and yeah, and you've pretty much. Uh, I think you're pretty well known for, aside from from being an amazing artist, just you you have a pretty rigorous touring schedule it seems like you're you're pretty much every summer every winter you're usually having at least a couple weeks on tour yeah so i used to tour every summer and now so i work i work in the haunted house halloween industry so i can't i'm really busy from like summer to halloween 
and uh, so now I tour. I have to tour in the winter now. But mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, I try to get out as much as I can. Yeah. Um. So when when did you? What was your first exposure to, to underground music in general? I mean, not not necessarily just noise, but just stuff that wasn't radio music. Um. Who? I guess. Um. I don't really know. Um. I was a little crusty punk kid when I was younger. Yeah. Uh. So I guess like uh. The Minneapolis punk scene is really what uh, got me into, you know, like a DIY scene and basement stuff. I was, um, I was dating a girl who, uh, who was like a punk when I was in high school, uh, and I lived in the suburbs of Minneapolis. And so she had, she lived in a punk house and like go and go to shows when I was like, you know, 15, 16. And yeah. That kind of got me into you know. what, I guess what, what drew you to that, that uh, in the first place, you know, what, what takes the, a normal, a, a what I would imagine would have been a, a normal childhood, or yeah, pretty normal. I, I grew up in a white suburb, and it's and uh, uh, I guess the general uh, middle class white suburb, and uh, it was fairly disgusting to me. And sure. uh, I was kind of, I don't know, I don't know. Do you, uh, do you ever do you have like a memory or like a, a point where you feel like you might have uh, realized that you weren't going to jive like the rest of the people in your environment uh, when I got. Uh, off a prescription of a uh, uh, Ritalin, okay. <laughs> and then I okay. everyone around me sucked. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I don't really know. It's hard to tell. I've, you know, it's always sort of like a quote-unquote outcast at school and shit. But uh, um, I, yeah, like I said, like big white suburb, and uh, didn't really get along with anyone there. So, yeah. <laughs> except for I have, I have a lot of very close friends that I still still uh, I'm good friends with that I went with that from there. Sure. Um, parents together, divorced. Uh, they've been happily married uh, for thirty some years. They used oh, to wow. live in, uh, they used to live in Minnesota, uh, and now they just moved to Florida. And I will actually be seeing them in a couple of weeks. Nice, nice. Um, so, pretty stable home life. Yeah. Um, just yeah. Middle like middle class America. Um, yeah. I grew up. Uh, I grew up in a suburb uh i grew up in richfield which is where i was born and raised for a few years in richfield uh which is a suburb of minneapolis and then my parents moved to uh eden prairie when which is a little bit farther out uh uh suburb it's actually really interesting because it's you know urban sprawl and when we moved there it was literally a prairie and we were like the first one of the first houses in this neighborhood and it was just nothing but prairie and we you could see like one other house and it was like, you know, within a year is all houses and everyone who moved there was, were people with like one and two year old kids. Sure. So this whole neighborhood grew up with kids that were, every house had a kid the same age okay. and there was a whole, there's just tons of kids and there's like hell raising and you know, all the shit kids do. Sure. And so you said you, you kind of started realizing you weren't like the people around you, like after, after you came off Ritalin uh, yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was... Were you prescribed that at a young age? Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, I, was, I was on Dexedrine, Ritalin, Adderall, all the, all the things. I had, was uh, diagnosed with ADD and was kind of troublesome for my parents. So okay. Probably put them through a little hell, for sure. But uh, I made my mom cry. Sorry, Mom. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so I, when I, I decided that I didn't want to take Adderall, uh, um, Ritalin at that point anymore, I, I was already, like, you know, I was a little spaz, I had a shaved head, buck teeth, and bifocals. <laughs> and, uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I can't pinpoint it. I just use that as a general time frame, I guess. Sure, sure. Like middle school-ish. Do you remember what, what – was there a band, a song, an album, anything that just really grabbed you at um, that age? Or? I uh, So I listened to like really bad edited rap that I could buy at the at the mall. Like like I'm embarrassed to say it, but I bought an edited Mace CD, and then I realized that it was really bad. And I got super into DMX. DMX was the shit. And then uh, I still like DMX uh, for sure. Um, uh, but then I just started uh, – we started trying to steal CDs from Sam Goody at the mall. And uh, I got caught. And the, and the guy working there, it was like – I don't remember what it was. But, uh, but it was like – it was some terrible rap CD. And he's like – and I wasn't 18. I was probably like 13 or 12 or – I don't know. But uh, but he's like, here, just take this CD, and it was System of a Down's first CD, and then I was like, oh, that's cool. Uh, but then I like started listening to, like pop punk and shit. One of my friends in high school was like, super into pop punk, and I was like, okay, I don't like this. So, new metal for me for a little while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, I don't know. The first, I can't. I don't know. There was no. It was never. It was never like, oh, this is a like a drastic shift in in things I like. I was obsessed with the Beatles until I was in like fourth grade and then hmm. I bought Prodigy Fat of the Land. That was cool. Nice. <laughs> were, were, would you say you grew up in a household that was pretty open to like music or? Uh, my dad, nah. Yes. Yes. At first. But then, yeah, my, my dad just listens to rock. Dad rock. He was like Dire Straits and, and Rolling Stones. And, sure. And you know, the American Graffiti soundtrack. Um, he did not tolerate the rap. <laughs> uh, he didn't like any, I mean, they didn't, they're, I could, yeah, they supported me in whatever, uh, whatever I was doing. I had a, uh, like whole band set up in my basement. Um, I had a band in middle school and high school and they were like, they were really supportive of that. But they're funny. also like, this isn't what you're going to do. Right. You know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, they're, they're very supportive parents. Now they realize that it is what I wanted to do, so nice. <laughs> so they have to stay that way. So you, pretty early on, you had like a lot of ha- hands-on experience with with music making and yeah, yeah, very know, very much that. so. There's a tight knit group of friends that I, the people that I still uh, hang out with, the only kids that I still hang out with that I went to school and grew up with. Um, we're all in a band, and um, we are we had a practice space in my parents' basement. Um, my parents' basement was like. A little kid's dream. I had a half pipe down there. I had a full band set up, a bunch of couches. Um, yeah, I don't know, but yeah, we we every day after school, everyone take my the bus home to my parents' house, and we'd uh, you know try to figure out what music we want to play. Everyone was everyone in that band was into different music. Like I was in a punk, and uh, the drummer was into like ska, like you know middle school like. Style. Sure. Uh, guitarist was into one guitarist was into like like new metal and the other was into like classic rock. So, sure, you can imagine what what kind of embarrassing music we made. So, not not to take away from from your your experience, but it pretty sort of uh, common entry into heavier music it sounds yeah. like you know for for most people that that are into that music that's kind of how it sort of develops you know and, and that at that age with that kind of you know it, that kind of forms and styles of music and 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 
Um, yeah, I'd say. Where would you Where would you say like your first contact or or experience with like the more extreme elements of of like underground music, like you know, be it like you know the the heavier forms of metal or or punk and hardcore or even noise? Like, do you do you recall like when you first like started like hearing that and and seeing that as a direction you might go in? Yeah, I don't. I, I that's a, that's a hard question, I guess. Um, I uh, I don't know. Like, just my musical taste has always developed fairly organically. But um, so there was never like anything that I was like, "Whoa, this is crazy," and this is totally different. Hmm. Um, that I can think of, you know. But um, man, I don't know. Uh, maybe in the like the maybe not like what I would listen to, but like in the live setting, like the first time I went to a punk show, I was like, "Well, this is insane!" Like a basement show, you know. I was like, I had gone to like you know like punk shows at first Ave in Minneapolis. This is a large venue in Minneapolis. I've gone to like, you know, it's a, but it's like a concert venue, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think my first experience in like a trashy, like what to me, even now it was like the Minneapolis, Minneapolis punk ge- uh, scene has changed a lot. But when I was younger, it was like, you know, it, it was a, I don't know, it was, it was very like shocking for a suburb kid to go to this, like, gutter punk basement <laughs> filled with smoke and booze and and people doing whatever they want and it was like I was like this is this is me this is cool sure um, so I don't know the sense of danger is very yeah. enticing you know? having having to lie to my parents and say I'm at a neighbor's house and getting a ride to Minneapolis and like <laughs> getting drunk and being like oh no I have to go home and not smell like cigarettes this is terrible <laughs> but when did uh did you did you do like punk bands before you started doing uh you know industrial or yeah um i guess yeah that's what that was my thing i i like i used to play bass uh i don't really do that as much anymore um i yeah i was in a couple punk bands i did uh <clears throat> i filled in for um some some of my very good friends still they um i think they kind of dropped the band up at a cognitive dissonance for minneapolis i played with them uh did a little tour, a mini tour with them playing bass. Um, they're in a band Geiger counter now, um, that I just actually recorded, uh, like this month. Uh, so they're, yeah, like long-term friends of mine. Uh, but after that, I, you know, I, I didn't really like playing, playing bass a lot. I played guitar in a sludge band that only had one show. Um, but yeah, so the punk circuit, I was like more of, I, I started recording more than playing, I suppose. When would you say you started becoming? I guess when when do you? When were you? Uh, for, first exposed to to noise, and and how did you end up coming into in, into that, like playing and recording and being involved in the in the scene, as it were. So, um, I, I a lot of it was you know my peers. Uh, at the time I was still like, you know, very much into like, like, um, you know, punk and sludge and, and I bought, uh, some man the bastard records and, uh, I bought a thoughtless, the uh, thoughtless LP. And, you know, that's a really noisy, um, and I was like, this is really cool. And then, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, the first time I saw, um, a noise show is like, I've been to, I had like seen like people doing like experimental mixed bill shows with punks. And it was nothing. It was never like a. It didn't seem like. This, 
I guess I didn't, it wasn't abrasive enough for me to be like, this is really cool. I wasn't really into like the mellow stuff, but then there was this, I remember there was this like crust show, um, at, at some house, some punk house and, um, two, two guys that, that I sort of knew, uh, which I later ended up living with and become very good friends with monsters of pot. Um, they played on this mixed bill show and they didn't want to, I don't think they wanted to be at the show or play and were kind of disgusted with the crowd in general. So they just played like 12, like 12 kilohertz sine waves as loud as they possibly could and cleared the room out. And it was like, I was like, this is cool. This is why, like, I get it. Like, get out of here. This is loud. This is abrasive. And, uh, it was great. Um, yeah. And then I bought a bunch of pedals and I was like, <laughs> doing, uh, my first feedback loops and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, how long, how long ago was that? Oh man, that was when I was living, um, That would have been when I was, that would have been like 2006 or two, two, late 2005. Okay. 2006. I was living in an apartment. Where was I? Yeah, that would have been like 2005. It was like the first apartment I had lived in uh, outside of like living in my parents' house. I was 17. I have a terrible memory. Yeah, that would have been 2006. Um, so what is that? Nine years ago? Yeah. Was it uh, nod right away, or did, did no, you just um, do it as? I just did. I just I just recorded a bunch of stuff. I I wanted to do like soundtracks and stuff like that. Okay. Um, like spooky, horror-y sound te- uh, soundtrack stuff. Um, but then I was always recording noise, and I didn't like do any any like output with it. And like all my friends knew I was doing that. Um, and then. Uh, so my friends were starting this band, the sludge band, Endless Bummer, um, and they hadn't had a show yet. And they're like, do you want to play noise in our band? And um, I was like, yeah. I like the sludge. Was, at this point, it was all I was listening to. I was listening to Doom Metal and Funeral Doom and 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 sludge. And I was like, I will gladly play noise in this band. So um, that, that pushed me into doing noise live. So uh, we were a band for three or four years or something, something like that. But then uh, Nod didn't develop until that um, we were done uh, with that, pretty much. I can't even remember. No, that's not true. I was, I was doing Nod while that band was still around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I mean, Minneapolis is, has one of the more established like noise scenes in the country. Definitely, you know, in, in, in the Rust Belt, No Coast, Midwest uh, style, typically being pretty harsh and, and uh, you know, having a lot of lot of projects for for you know the size of our cities. You know, uh, when did you first come into contact with like any of the people like you know like Sam who does Phage Tapes and Baculum or? Um, um, God, I can't remember all their names anymore. Yeah, so I met Sam. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I, so I had already known a few people. Like, um, like so I lived with Shane and, and uh, Jeremy of, of Monsters of Pot. Shane is Violator X. So um, I looked up to him a lot. I still do. He's a he's like a brother to me. But um, he uh, 
he 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 kind of he's super into noise. He's a noise dude, and I, so a lot of the a lot of my the people I met were kind of through him. But the first time I met like Sam and 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 those guys, which were of a different crowd, was I think the second Nod show I ever played. At, it was at um, it was at some bar, and I I had brought like all my shit. Uh, well, I had a very very a much louder PA uh, rig than I even do now. Um, and we brought it to this bar that didn't want anything to do with us. But um, I think Br- Br- Brian Thole of Is was playing, and I was one of the locals. And it was this, yeah, this bar in St. Paul. And then um, I didn't know like Joe Bears, who does small doses, or uh, uh, or Sam, or um, I met a bunch of people that night. But um, they were like, "You're cool. Like, <laughs> wait, you have merch?" <laughs> like, I was like. Uh, yeah, this shitty CDR. Who are you guys? Um, but yeah, they they were all they were very 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 welcoming and and warm right away. And I'm like, this is my second uh, show as Nod, and they're like, oh cool. You want to play another one? I'm like, <laughs> so those guys are big hearted, warm dudes. So <laughs> absolutely, yeah. You know one one thing with Nod is is um, it's one of the more structured composed acts uh especially in the midwestern like heavy electronic scene i mean you you know you you tend to have actual albums with 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 for the lack of a better word songs and and you know they they you you pull them off live on a regular you know like a, a, a with with some consistency and and um you know i imagine that takes a lot of time to to put together and, and to execute um when you when you first started, did you, did you kind of have that vision, or did you start start at one point and kind of end up where you are now? Um, <laughs> I always liked the idea of songs. You know, um, playing a song that's you can you can have. It's a song that you can repeat. You can play. I mean, you know, obviously live and recorded can be can be different, but um, you you can play a song and it's uh, recognizable, familiar, and it's its own like it's a song. You know, it's like you know. Um, I don't wait what was your question again <laughs> um, I, it wasn't so much a question as I was just I guess I was sort of this is how I saw it at first yeah yeah like you, you know did, did you start it saying you know I, I guess I, I, I've done this in every podcast I somehow managed to talk about myself but uh, <laughs> no, no. you know with like Plague Mother like I I don't have really have songs but I have I have concepts and, and moods that I'm I'm I want to express, and I go into that before I ever touch my gear. So I say like, you know, like I'm I want to meditate on this, and I'm going to translate that into a sound. So whereas whereas some people go into it and they create the sound first and and see what comes after that. Uh, and I guess I was I was saying you know like. You know, like if you look back at like some of the some of the older nod material to now, you know, it's definitely progressing as far as like structure and and uh, dynamics and stuff. But uh, I guess I, I I guess I was asking like you know like when you when you started it, did you have a, a particular vision? Have you have you gotten to a point where you feel like you're expressing that vision? Or are you is it is it a continual work in progress? Where do you see it going? Well, I guess now I see it more as a continual work in progress because, you know, I kind of 
have been doing what I feel in general. Um, when I started it, I wanted it to be like harsh noise. And then like immediately it's like, I don't want to just did like, you know, classic harsh noise or whatever. Cause I didn't mean, I was like developing my sound palette at this point, of course, sure. and still am. But, um, uh, then I was like, all oh, right, I just want to be like pissed off power electronics and like, you know, feedback and vocals and that's it. And that's like, cool. Like not very structured, still song oriented, but not, um, not rhythmic, not, um, not layered, not, not really, I guess not actually structured, but, um, but I don't see that. Uh, I don't, that's not what I'm going for now. So I'm kind of, yeah, I don't know. Uh, starting out, it was just like, I, I'm going to get some sounds, see how they feel. Um, it's, you know, the same kind of mood, just, you know, abrasive, but yeah, it was always, it wasn't a concept first and then, uh, and then, uh, and then, uh, follow up on that. It was usually, um, feedback and yelling. <laughs> sure. Or like, sure. you know, um, you know, I, th- I think with a lot of the, the acts that come out of our part of the country in, uh, we, we tend to kind of have similar, similar themes or at least similar, uh, imagery that pops up a lot of, of, of like industrial decay, the, the, the you know, living in the ruins kind of, kind of thing. Um, and I think, I think at least from an outsider's perspective, like Nod is certainly a part of that too. Um, you know, do you, I guess I'm, I guess I would say is, is there something that you think an idea or, 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 uh, almost like an artist statement that you would, you would have for Nod? Like, or, you know, like if, if I was to say for, for the label I do, like for compulsion rights, it's all about on just exploring the uncomfortable. Like I, it, it's all, every release that I've, I curate is about, uh, being out of your, out of your comfort zone. And do you have any, do you have any idea like that for Nod that you would just, you would put out there for people like, you know, this is Nod or, um, I suppose the most consistent theme is, um, the inevitable decay of everything. And so, yeah, like you said, um, like the industrial decay is a big source of inspiration for me, even though that, um, you know, Minneapolis isn't a, a horribly um, decayed city. There's, you know, there's always, you know, there's rotting warehouses and, and, and mills and, and train lines and, and rusty shit all over. But um, it's it's this city's like a lot of that stuff's getting torn down and stuff. So it's not like a huge it's not a permanent part of my like, you know, foreground Sure. Um, but, uh, it's, it's there and it's, um, I don't know, it's definitely inspiring. It's, um, it's, those are areas I seek out fairly regularly. Um, but as far as like a cohesive theme to nod, it's, you know, rot decay, um, at least now where I see it. Um, and that translates, you know, using, using, um, perhaps, uh, industrial, like the industrial rust belt decay as maybe almost a metaphor for humanity. Um, a lot of my themes are, you know, end times, uh, apocalyptic almost, but as cliche as that sounds, that's, um, you know, my biggest source of inspiration and output, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think about, you know, you know, you noted how like it's, it's getting torn down in Minneapolis and it's the same here in Milwaukee. Um, and uh, not, it's going a little slower here, but I, I 
just recently came back from visiting family in Cleveland and it's shocking how much of that's being repurposed or bulldozed out of the way. And and I, I wonder what, you know, for, for me, for, for when I, uh, first, first started getting into, uh, you know, industrial music, like, you know, Cleveland where, especially in the neighborhood that I live was just, was just ruins um, yeah. <laughs> and it was so influential like that in that that like that you know that that environment was so influential not just in, in like what I was doing for art but even just in like the way I thought about the world and, and I, I wonder how it how it is for people you know that are younger than us that are starting to get involved in in, in noise and experimental music that that I guess won't have that experience because they won't have that, you know, that world. They won't have that. They won't have that decay to 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 draw inspiration from. They're going to have a a largely whitewashed or greenwashed or whatever you want to call it. Uh, there's I I, I kind of feel like that. There's always going to be that that sort of thing, you know, to a degree, unless the city's like like really gaining a lot of stuff an interesting thing just happened in minneapolis we have a lock and dam for barges that goes right through downtown and there's so you can you know barges can you know go down the mississippi and there's a lot of businesses and and um you know barge loading equipment and stuff all along the river but they closed the they closed the lock and dam about i don't know six months to a year and they i don't know what their plans are but barges can't go through it right now so there's all these um, there's all these like uh, uh, barge loading places and and um, holding areas and you know just these industrial complexes with with uh, crazy belts and silos and stuff all along the river that now are either you know becoming semi abandoned or whatever and there's this huge complex um, north of downtown that's uh, like a playground right now it's uh, an old storage facility for like silico salt. And it's all these, they're steel domes or semi-domes. They're like semi-spheres that they would feed in salt to the top of the dome and just basically silo storage things. But they're completely empty and acoustically amazing and there's scrap metal all over the place. And so there's like kids bringing in drum sets and, and doing doing weird, weird stuff. So I don't know. I don't we don't it's not we're not industrializing we're not building complexes like that um in Minneapolis or in you know a lot of the rust belt anymore cuz that boom's gone so i don't know i'm there's always i think there's always going to be something though you know sure yeah i guess i guess i was just thinking like it some parts of the rust belt are are going through like a a lot of areas that I don't know if this is getting picked up on the mics, all the <laughs> cop cars and stuff. Uh, up. Told you guys, this neighborhood changes. Um, <laughs> I guess you know, there's always going to be the the somewhere the the rot of the old world. Mm-hmm. But I guess I I guess I meant that it seems like it's very popular now for Twenty-year-old professionals to to move into these neighborhoods that used to be a little more marginalized, and I guess more, you know, the the decay was was vis- visible mm-hmm. and like uh, more present, and 
uh, kind of, kind of, and you know, like, in, like was was there to influence uh, the people that live there. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't have to seek it out, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, you know, I, I feel like a lot of, a lot of that's getting replaced with new, new housing or, or new whatever. And so now it's like you're, you're gonna have to start searching out that environment if you if you if you if you're wanting to look for it yeah um that's very true like there's so uh minneapolis is like mill city is it's you know sure it's called mill city there's a ton of mills you know and all just this year one is i don't think they're open yet but a bit a a big abandoned mill uh we'd all hang out in and, and climb around is currently being turned into um condos right now and there's you know they're either uh you know, half torn down, or they're turning, they're repurposing them into condominiums. So. Right. Yeah, and and that just interests me because, you know, we saw those buildings and we saw playgrounds. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I wonder what a future generation that just sees those places as condos is gonna. You know how how they're gonna they're gonna create art in the world, I suppose. Um, yeah, man. Minneapolis is uh got a pretty strong like uh like labor history, you know, a lot of a lot of uh There's a lot of union union, union history union with town, the teamsters you know? and all that stuff, yeah. Very blue collar. Does any of that find its way into into your work at all or um, you know, uh so I work I work in a in a um area right on the river that's got um a lot a lot of blue collar it's like where a lot of the um factory workers are um in minneapolis it's um it's right on the it's like north of downtown on the river in northeast uh, minneapolis um uh, it's it's a really unique part the uh, minneapolis is really segregated um there's there's north and northeast south and southeast um racially and economically pretty separated um and i live right or i live in south but i work right on kind of the almost for the not quite the four corners but um closer to the center of of where those areas meet and there's like on my way to work i pass six scrap yards and uh, some factories and um yeah, I don't know. It's it's you know that's in my immediate foreground, so I suppose. But I don't you know it's not something I like. I guess I don't really actively think about the blue collar um, surround. I mean, I guess I work in a. I mean, it's not really a blue collar. It's I work in a weird industry, but uh, <laughs> but I do. Yeah. Um, so I so when I worked for um, yeah a lot a lot of the kids around are like you know heavy on the union. I think it's because of Minneapolis history. Um, I used to work at Jimmy John's, and there was a huge movement to unionize Jimmy John's, and they actually got to vote, and it it was like it was pretty crazy to think about uh, enough people trying to unionize a uh, you know a corporate franchise like Jimmy John's. You know, it's like thinking of like you know, hey, we all work at this Taco Bell franchise, and we have enough votes where we can probably get a un- Taco Bell union. You know, something like that. Sure. Um, sure. And it went to vote, and we lost by four votes. I voted for it. Um, it was a weird time there too. That was a whole 
thing. But that's kind of the you know my generations. A lot of them are. There's the IWW is is in in. There's a big one in Minneapolis, and a lot of a lot of my friends and people are uh, you know pretty active with with that whole thing. Sure. So you you said you know that a lot of the like the thematic inspiration for for Nod kind of comes from you know sort of the, the apocalyptic imagery. Yeah, um, I, and I think a lot of that is you know a lot of the I, I, you know uh, urban decay in general is you know is. Not even a metaphor. It's kind of a mirroring. What uh, I don't know. It it's interesting to me because, um, I don't even know if I want to go down this down this road, but we're going to try. Uh, you know the the con, uh, especially with the IWW and a lot of uh, other like uh, anarcho-syndicalist ideas. They're they're sort of. Uh, they, they're they're a direct result of of in the industrial revolution and, and and industrial society, and their ideas sort of uh, tend to focus on keeping that society going in a different way, mm-hmm. in a way that they they believe would be better for all involved. Whereas you know when you think about uh, <clears throat> the collapse of that industrial society whether as as an overarching concept or just like on the small scale of like of urban decay you know the 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 those ideas kind of almost at least to me and and where where i i come from philosophically they they almost kind of butt heads and so it's an interesting like juxtaposition to be like uh from somewhere that has like that strong like uh like worker background and yet to, to, to have a lot of influence being drawn from uh, the collapse of that society. Yeah. It's like, it's like being influenced by something, but inspired by its demise almost. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. uh, yeah, uh, I I guess I don't really actively think of it like that, but that's, that's definitely very much a a fact and a thing. And, and um, uh I was never really, you know, I, I work in the food industry and I work for I work for Tips forever, and um, and uh, was never, you know, I was, you know, for most of my life, pretty ignorant about um, about you know, blue collar workers in general in Minneapolis, and uh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot when um, uh, a lot of friends of mine started uh, organizing uh, stuff f- uh, through the IWW for uh, unionizing Jimmy John's. Um, and that I, that changed my perspective on a lot of uh, a lot of stuff in Minneapolis, but um, I don't think that uh, affects my uh, um, artistic uh, inspiration from rusted decay. I suppose, sure. you know. But that no, that is a, yeah, that's a crazy thing. Yeah. Minneapolis has such, uh, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, Minneapolis also has such a strong like punk history. I mean. It's pretty much the crust punk mecca, and it's changed a know, lot. But it's, yeah, with with that came like a lot of squatting, a lot of punk houses, a lot of house DIY venues, house shows. Um, you know, I mean, I think 
you know, not just with, uh, you know, not just with punk, but also with noise. I mean, you were, you had the rat hole for yeah, a the, long the, time, right? Yeah. The rat hole's still going. There's a, there's some, uh, some interesting stuff that happened there. Uh, there's, yeah, uh, that the dynamics of the house have much changed. Um, but, uh, a bunch of us lived there for, for a while. Uh, 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 the owner changed. The owners, uh, the owner of the house, changed hands, and now it's some good friends still live there. Still shows. I'll still put shows on there once in a while, but it's um you know a whole different dynamic. Different people live there. Sure. Um, it's it seems like in Minneapolis there's a lot more communal living than than in a lot of the Midwest nowadays. I mean, I feel like everyone I know in Minneapolis lives in a a, a multi-person. Uh, living situation whereas you hear Milwaukee we're all kind of we all kind of either live with our by ourselves or with our partners and you know in Chicago there's the there's Omar and, and Mitch live together but you know the most of those dudes all live separately uh in Cleveland and everyone lives separately uh Buffalo uh everyone's I mean, everyone's not even living in Buffalo. They're all spread out over Western New York in general. (laughs) Um, Which is funny because I feel like, at least, and and again, this is from an outsider who lives six hours away and he used to live 12 hours away, but it seemed like we were having a lot more shows in our area than Minneapolis was, even though you guys were all, seemed like so, so much tightly or tighter tighter knit um you know it seems like you know only like the last year or so it seems like you guys got like a regular thing going with the tourniquet shows yeah there was a there was a big there was a there was a big downtime for the i think for the for the minneapolis noise scene for sure um uh i guess that to kind of bring it back to the communal living thing i think the the a lot of people are really tight knit um but so Minneapolis used to have a massive, like, um, you know, the crust scene. It was like, that was like misery and, and like the band code 13 that we were trying to remember last night. Um, (laughs) that, that whole era brought, you know, Minneapolis was like, that was, that was huge. You know, that's, and that's when I was first going to shows. And, um, and even before then, you know, it was like, you know, everyone had a, had a, a skullet, and it was in a basement show, you know. Um, Profane Existence was based out. Of, are yeah, they still yeah, based? They're, in yeah, Minneapolis? they're. Um, I don't think they're, they're still. They still do stuff, but um, not really. Not much. They put records out once in a while. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, those guys are old. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so Profane. Yeah, in in the you know its pinnacle was um, you know Profane Existence. That whole scene was a huge. It was a huge punk scene, and you know there was some room on the side for other stuff, but. I think now it, the punk scene is like it's not like it's definitely not the same. There's still like punks, but it's a DIY scene. And and um, the I remember when I was first going to shows, same houses, same people. Uh, it was punk. It was all punk. You know, it was, it was like a you know like a crust band, a DB band, and then uh, you know like a hardcore band or like even maybe all hardcore bands. You know, not very mixed. Uh, genre bills um and same like i said some of the houses you know the same people running different houses same same the people that are still around are still active in the same uh uh, circle of friends type scene 
Uh, but it's I, I would call the scene more of a DIY scene now than a than a punk scene because there's so many there's so much more stuff that's accepted and and build together um, uh, than there than than there was. But um, at the same time, uh, noise was it was like pretty. There's not a lot of stuff happening for like a year. And I think I think a lot of that has to do with um, Minneapolis isn't like a through city. It's 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 not just a destination, but like if you're if you're touring, you want have to want to go to Minneapolis unless mm. you know you, it, people will loop like you know Milwaukee, Minneapolis, and then go south. But you know what? There's nothing west of Minneapolis that's like you know a big city sure. until you hit Seattle. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's <laughs> that's a that's, that's a, a long ways. Drive. So getting people to um, to to Milwaukee's got it a little better because they're so close to Chicago here. Um, at least how I how I feel about it. Um, you gotta want to go to Minneapolis to to include that in your like Midwest uh, uh, tour. So a lot of people weren't weren't coming, and also uh, we we had a venue called the Medusa that was a, a warehouse um, that that was shut down. Um, was it bought jokingly by Red Lobster? But um, that, that was a nice rumor. Uh, and there, w- after that, there wasn't um, there wasn't a huge DIY space that a- anyone could book a show that wasn't a basement. So and and it, Minneapolis, I really, f- I still feel this way that Minneapolis's um, activity and scene, um, as far as like no the more like uh, noise stuff. Uh, and and uh, experimental and artistic uh, parts of the DIY scene that aren't punk uh, really hinge on having one venue that's not a house and is like large scale um, DIY to you know to really like flourish as a scene because mm-hmm. you can get big shows um, and you know it just I don't know. Like like fests can't happen without one, you know. Sure. We don't sure. have a, a lot of venues and options for that type of a, a scenario. We just lost SS, uh, the Secret Service, where where there's. Oh, those were the. Where the, the noise fest was. Yeah, this yeah. That just the, the last show was um a week ago. I think there. Yeah. So the, someone bought that, and so this place is an old train depot on 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 uh on the train tracks in a kind of college area of town, and um. Someone bought it. They're gonna level it and turn it into condos. You know, and, you there know, we go. It's, this, it, it's crazy. It's got a lot. The building's got a lot of history. Um, it's actually a repair uh, repair place for trains. But um, yeah, so yeah, the, another one bites the dust. But from the ashes of Phoenix, <laughs> hopefully, you know. Yeah, maybe they'll they'll put a <laughs> DIY space inside those condos. <laughs> yeah, that would be wild. Um. So we've talked a lot about about music, um, mostly so far. Um, you know, aside from music, what else? Uh, aside from music, and aside from uh, the the the, the uh, environmental factors, you know, what are what are some other things that uh, that influence your work? Uh, what are some other things that you you do? I mean, you know, I I, I guess I'm kind of giving leading questions at this point, but you know, I know uh, you're involved in a, a pretty cool parade thing that happens and and uh you know i i guess i'm just 
Tell us a little more about your other other artistic exploits and, and just things that interest you. Well, that parade is a big thing. That's a huge deal. <laughs> for uh, I don't do anything for um, uh, once I get back from this uh, thing we do. In, I go out for, uh, in March uh, for work, but um, we go to St. Louis. There's a big convention. Uh, but when I get back from that at the end of March, all of April, I pretty much don't have a life because we're making parade floats. Um, and so there's this big parade in Minneapolis called the May Day Parade. And um, a bunch of, like, you know, fabricators and welders get together at this guy's house who's kind of the head of it. Uh, and we make ridiculous floats. And so we used to not we used to not actually be part of the parade. We would just make this, uh, for example, uh, the first big one was we took an old ice shanty um, and made a bicycle-powered. Uh, and it's all human-powered is the theme of us. Uh, rusty garbage that's human powered uh, um, and we shoot fireballs and, and people dance and, and we, we cook food for everyone um, it's you know it's this big it's this big thing in, in Minneapolis media is a huge it's a, there's, a, there's puppet shows and, and crazy parade stuff but we're the loud dudes that used to park our floats in front of the parade and when the parade got close we just get in front and we are part of the parade now and it became expected and last year was the first year that we were officially like accepted as being part of the parade even though we were like socially accepted um, but we were actually officially like you know under the parade's insurance and all that stuff which is a crazy thing to think of because the stuff we make is really dangerous <laughs> but uh, so yeah in April we come up with a plan uh, and we Execute it every year we have. We made um, last year we made a giant crane that uh, people did um, uh, aerial, like aerialists would hang from and were dangling on chains and shooting fireballs and <laughs> it's one of those things that you have to kind of experience. We drag rusty metal down the street. Uh, one year we took a uh, we took an old tour van into the woods, flipped it upside upside down, and shot thousands of bullet holes in it, uh, and then we towed it out put it on wheels, made the, un, it, we flipped it, it was upside down, um, and there's a giant grill where we roasted two goats in the in the underside of the car, and the back end was dragging on the ground, shooting sparks, and it's full of bullet holes, and people are banging on drums, and it's dragging, this is, this thing's dragging down, down Bloomington Ave, uh, <laughs> running the street, uh, we made, then the next year we made a, a human-powered Ferris wheel, three-seat Ferris wheel, that um, is taller than some of the, the light poles. So uh, that was uh, high, high uh, or the uh, street lights. And then, yeah, last year was the crane. I don't know what we're going to do this year. We're talking about a hamster wheel, but who knows? But yeah, that's fun. That's, um, that's a lot of, that's a lot of like, you know, uh, salvaging, burning, burnt down, like I beams, getting I beams from a burnt down building or, or, um, cutting deals with, um, scrap metal places and getting as much, um, you know, cheap metal and, and work as we can. So we're, yeah, at the end of the day, it's a, a line of, you know, we have a, we had a half pipe. It's probably eight cars, half pipe, um, all sorts of stuff, uh, Dragging rusted metal across the ground, banging on stuff, making noise, and uh, having a good time. Hmm. Also, I guess I suppose, um, yeah, my job. I get a lot of. Um, I really love my job. I, it's a good blend of um, technical and creative. Uh, um, 
things. So, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of what I'm doing is like aesthetic work that, that, um, you know, is up my alley. It's like horror themed. And then, uh, but I'm also doing a lot of really technical, like electricity, uh, electric wiring, electronics, um, relays and, and welding. So are you, um, are you a big, you're a big horror movie fan? Um, I mean, I'm not a big movie person in general, but like, you know, yeah, I get to spray, I get to weld something up, wire it up, um, run electronics. And then at the end of the day, spray flake blood, you know, <laughs> that stuff. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know. I'm not a, I'm not like a movie buff or but yeah I mean I've never been a huge uh, my attention span is always uh, too short for a two hour <laughs> commitment. <Yeah. laughs> I I find that interesting the you know learning about your you know your childhood ADD and you know you're 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 telling me you don't have an attention span but uh, you know again like Nod records are so they're just really well composed and they're you know, there might be eight tracks on it, but it's, you know, 30, 45 minutes and it, it holds your attention the whole time. Uh, which is, you know, I would imagine for someone who doesn't have an, who who says they don't have an attention span, like that's, is, is that difficult for you to, for you to, to accomplish or does it, I don't know. Maybe that's why. Yourself? Maybe that's why I have a I can try to do it because I need to. <laughs> I need to be captivated. Um, no, I don't know. Um, uh, I really enjoy doing it, so it's you know I can hold. I can hold my attention on on working on stuff more. But um, I don't know. That's a hard question because I I I can't pay attention to stuff that I love. You know what I mean? Uh, for very long, and it's and that's just how I am. I'm doing fourteen things at once, and. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's a... Do you, do you find like when you're when you're writing, recording, performing, do you find yourself like uh, more focused than you normally feel? Yeah, absolutely. When I when I'm working on something that I care about a lot, I, I, um, I, I yeah, very much so. Um, uh, I that also can you know. And so when I, when I'm working on anything creative, um, I'll be really focused on the the whole thing, but I'll I'll be really uh, I'll jump around a lot. Um, and that's just how, you know, how my brain works, but, um, I won't, you know, I won't, you know, left to right, go through this thing that I'm focused on. I'll be focused on this whole thing, um, pretty intently, but I'll, I'll just stab around it, you know, and, and, and work on whatever right now is, you know, uh, I'm, I'll be working on a track and all of a sudden I'll hear something that I'm like, I need to put, I need to do something right here. And, and I stop whatever I'm doing and I work on that, which, um, which makes uh, I can uh, like actualize inspiration quickly, but I can't. Uh, developing it takes a little. Sometimes I I, I shift gears uh, hmm. a little too quickly. Interesting. When you um. When you're like kind of in that zone where you're creating and you and you feel. You, you, you perhaps you feel more focused than you you normally do in like your your day to day life. Do you do you find that to be therapeutic at all, or does uh, do, yeah, does your does your do do you still feel like you struggle with ADD? Do you, do you feel like that's a that's a thing that like interferes with your daily life or? I yeah, you... it does, but it doesn't. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't change how my brain works for anything, but uh, um, <laughs> uh, it's not. I I, I, mean, I don't struggle with it at all. Um, it makes some things harder, but it makes some like you know I don't know. Uh, it's. Yeah, I, I experience ADD and short memory 
uh, a short attention span and and at work you know at work my sometimes at work that suffers because at work I'm not you know I, I can't jump around and do my thing I have to get a job done you know uh, uh, yeah it's something I gotta think about a lot you know hmm. like like for example if I if I was gonna clean my room for example uh, I'll go to my desk and I'll I'll be like alright I'm gonna clean the desk and then I'll put two pencils away and I'll find a USB drive and then I'll be like what's on the drive and then I'll put it in the computer and then oh, there goes my cleaning I'm working on files now so, sure, sure. Um, so yeah that's a thing <laughs> but um that's so it's kind of fascinating because in all the all the, the whole time I've known you and all the times we've interacted and spent hours and days around each other I've never I would have never guessed <laughs> like you don't like seriously you don't like you seem pretty focused and I mean like in social situations, you don't seem to jump around a lot, and you're a great storyteller. I mean, you, you're, you know, like a lot of people I know that have those issues. Like, it's it's hard to get them to like get from point A to point B in a story. When I'm not, uh, so that really comes out. So in my room has got I've got like eighty thousand things in my room, and if I'm around, if I'm surrounded by distractions, uh, I'm distracted. Mm. And when uh, you know when I'm not like in, in <laughs> this distracting environment I've created for myself. Um, I guess I'm easily distracted if I'm, if I'm talking to you and someone comes up and they're like, Hey, I'm like, Oh, uh, uh, sorry. You know, you know, I jump around and, um, hmm. uh, got a one track mind, but I don't know. It's weird. Brains are odd. Brains are odd. <laughs> um, so you've done two full links with malignant. Uh huh. Um, that's kind of a big. Or no, deal. I did one with I did one with Phage and one with Malignant. Um, I just actually wait. The Terminal Epoch was a, was Sam put out, um, and then oh shit! But but <laughs> but Jason has my next one, which will be coming. Oh, out. so the yeah. one yeah, this that? is one coming out. Uh, it's a, tell us about it. Um, it's gonna um, uh, it's I don't know what's going on with it. I haven't done the art yet. Um, the audio is completely done. It's a follow-up to Fane and Cloak, um, and it has the track of one of the songs in there. Pestilence Beholden is the uh, is the title of the thing, the uh, the album. And it's um, it's it's thematically you know similar to Fane and Cloak, and um, it's I I like it more. It's where I'm what I've been doing more is more um, ominous. I feel. Um, more tension, uh, uh, more patience than, uh, than I have. And, <laughs> uh, uh, same about the same time length. Um, s- similar sounds, a little less, less scrap metal and more actual, uh, rhythms and a little more industrial, I think, than, than, than Fane was. Hmm. How long? How long does it usually take you to com- complete an album, or is it varied? Or it's very, very much different? varied. Um, it really depends on on how much how how much time I have and how much I'm working on it. You know, and like my life is very seasonal. Like I said, and like the whole parade thing is a big part. And then leading up to Halloween, I'm working um, crazy hours at work, so I'm not really, I'm not really. I don't have a lot of time to. Uh, to, to work on, on music. And then right after Halloween, I usually just, you know, decompress for a month. Sure. Um, 
So you pretty much yeah, the man. only window for you to. Well, I'm always I'm always working on stuff. You're always but, working on stuff. But in early winter is when I really you know it's Minnesota. It's there's snow everywhere, and I'm probably in my room after work or like you know if I'm if I'm at home I'm um you know working on some project and a lot of times that's you know recording. I was I was about to say like it it seems like. Uh, you know, you're you're getting the most most of your recording and 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 creating done in the cold months, and I guess like kind of, you know, it's it's funny how that sort of plays out. I mean, like Nod in a good way has a very cold feel to it. You know, winter is like a um is 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 it makes Minneapolis really cool. Because I, I have, so I, I record bands, um, and I have, there's rush season with that. There's like a season where everyone wants to record, because everyone's in a new band, or they're writing new songs, or, you know, working on their music all winter, and then they're, you know, planning a summer tour, and they want an album for that. So spring is like, everyone's productive writing music for the most part, if they are musicians in, in the winter in Minneapolis. And it's cool because tons of albums come out in the summer, and then everyone's writing in the winter. And and yeah, I think the I don't know. It's cold. <laughs> <laughs> I I uh, last year was the first year that I didn't uh, bike all winter, so I like was much more uh, I guess affected by the weather in general because I'm you know now I'm now I'm stuck in. Um, my house and I'm driving my car instead of biking everywhere. And, and, uh, there wasn't a lot of snow, but yeah, that, I don't know. It's, it, it does, does crazy things, but I like it. So, you know, you, you have a lot of experience recording. Um, you know, you're a recording engineer and, uh, you know, like, like we've discussed, like Nod has a, you know, a lot of composition and structure to it. Um, do you, so for a lot of us, uh, on the not talented side of noise, um, it's like we, we play with our gear until we find something that sounds good, have to commit to memory desperately how we got to where we got. And then, we desperately scramble for our laptops or our four tracks and hook it up and record it. So we don't lose that moment. Uh, and hopefully we'll be able to recreate it if we were clever enough to, to remember how we got there. But, uh, you know, since you have, um, some more of a formal musical background, since you have a more formal musical background, do you hear nod tracks in in your in your head before you even touch your gear is there like a all right i got an idea and this is how i'm gonna get there yeah very much so so a lot like sometimes some of some of the stuff i do is just all live and just is like you know this is kind of what i want to do and i'm gonna go that way i have these sounds um but a, a lot of a lot of my writing on 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 if i'm like tracking um i'll get i'll like come up with you know the bass layers that like synth and maybe a rhythm and i'll put it on on an ipod or something um or a tape and um listen to it maybe on my way when i'm biking or something and i'll listen to it when i'm and when i'm biking i'm like you know you got free time to think 
and I'll hear this and I'm like, this needs a synth here or whatever. And I'll be able to go home and, 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 and put that. Yeah. I'll be able to like track it in the way, um, the way I heard it in my head, um, at least kind of closely to, to what. So a lot of, yeah, a lot of my, um, my creative writing process is very much born of being an audio engineer where I'm, uh, used to recording, you know, the live tracks for a band and then they want guitar overdubs. So we're going to do the overdubs, you know, after the fact and, um, you know, take time to digest how it sounds and then we'll put the vocals down and then mix the tracks. And then, um, um, you know, if you want to add the keyboard or whatever, you know, you know, flourish it with, you know, more sounds and then, um, final mixing and mastering. So, yeah, my process is very much uh, uh, typical of like a um, your standard uh, band recording session, and that's because that's my background, and I have a recording studio <laughs> in sure. my house. So sure, yeah. I can I can do that. Um, for for local content, do you is that is that like an an arduous task for you, or, or does that come naturally? Where do you, do you, you know, like, do you read, 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 uh, any, any books or any, like, like, I guess where, where do you, you know, I know, I know there's the general th- thematic element, but do you, do you draw any inspiration from, from anywhere? It's, it's nothing specific. It is, it is, it, that is a harder part. Um, I'm not a good, I don't think I'm like a insanely talented writer or anything. I don't think I'm very, um, uh, I get, I get a lot of, you know, um, writer's blanks or writer's block, you know, when I'm trying to come up with, with lyrics. Um, a lot of it is, you know, lately anyways, I've been theming, um, you know, I theme an album around something and hold it very, very strictly to, to a theme. Um, but I, I suppose the inspiration would draw from, you know, what what the theme is at that point. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I try I try brevity in general uh, with lyrics and and I guess approach. So a lot of the times, it's not it's the th- the theme is more important to me than um, you know two lines out of uh, you know out of out of the song. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a more difficult more of the more difficult part for me for sure is, is, is lyrics. Um, Do the lyrics and the vocals typically come last in the process or? Yeah. Um, I'll have the theme idea down and usually, yeah, I'll do the vocals. I usually do vocals last unless I'm doing it live. Um, uh, and yeah. And usually a lot of the times I'll have everything done and I'll be like, I can't, I gotta, I gotta, gotta get these lyrics done, you know? And, and, uh, I don't write lyrics and then and then um, and then and then do the music around it. It's it's always the other way around. Hmm. And you run a label, uh, Maniacal Hatred, mm-hmm. and it seems like you're you're kind of kicking back up. There's a little bit of a dormant period, a little, bit, a little lull, two year lull or so. Yeah, but yeah, I um some some tapes coming out this month. Got some with me for for this tour. But um, I'll be I'll be officially releasing them in January. Um, I, w- I want to do some more uh, work with that, but um, uh, a lot of my you know tour touring really uh, 
lights a fire under my ass, so to speak, to get a lot of, you know, everyone get your tapes out, get your stuff ready for tour. And, um, and, uh, it kind of, you know, whips me into gear. So, uh, yeah, I got a new batch out. Um, I would, I don't want to, I don't want to keep it dormant. Um, but I also have been like the last few years I've been really, really busy in general. Um, and, uh, I start, I, I, I chose to do maniacal hatred and, and stop using my other label, um, as, more um being more specific with with what i intended to do with it and, and you know being more niche or so only putting out selected stuff that i really enjoy and at a you know a, a lower frequency and do you do you typically handle all the artwork or i it depends on you know um obviously uh, it depends on the you know what the artist uh, wants you know a, a sure. lot of times they'll give me the art and that's it's good to go and there we go um, I do I mean yeah so no not really um, I've done art for I've done art for a lot of the releases um, and that's if if I'm like hey what do you what do you got any ideas for art and they're like no and I'll, <laughs> well, I can I gladly whip something up and and go back and forth and uh, until until everyone's happy. Um, but yeah, it's it's always up to it's always up to you know who whose uh, material it is in there and their what ideas they have. Do you have any uh, anything to wrap up on? Any, anything you want to talk about? Anything you want to shout out? Uh, where can where can people find you on the internet? Um, I uh, I have a Facebook, as many of us do, but um, I have a I have a blogspot. It's just nod.blogspot.com and I try to keep it up to date. Cool. And it's, you know, usually you, you have a Bandcamp too, I think. Oh yeah, I do have a yeah, I have a Bandcamp. That's actually what I, I use more, but um um it's not like news or like put an album up once in a while. Cool. Well, thanks so much for for taking the time to to chat and uh good luck on the rest of tour. I'm sure you and Pascal are going to kill it. Spread the uh Minnesota flavor all over the East Coast. <laughs> Spicy. Yeah. everybody thanks so much to grant for sitting down two years ago to do an interview that is only now being released Uh, i can't stress enough how incredible and kind grant is and you should support him Uh, he will probably be coming to your city because the man is a touring machine Uh, as far as harsh truths goes we will be back in one month and uh, i believe we'll be sitting down with sterile garden Uh, please make sure you check us out on uh, Facebook, Harsh Truths Podcast. There's the uh, Harsh Truths Podcast blog. It's harshtruthspodcast.wordpress.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever your preferred podcasting platform is. If you have any questions, send them to harshtruthspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again to everyone for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. Please consider Knox Corp Industries for all of your psychological research and manipulation needs. 
We provide a higher quality, lower cost alternative to other private sector processes that are lengthier and needlessly complicated. We use a highly considered proprietary audiovisual system for induction of psychological stimulation and metric reinterpretation. That means no pharmaceuticals and lower liability. All of our processes are easily instituted in high-stress field study and adversarial engagement situations, and the resultant data sets will always be rock-solid. Our tried-and-true processes could also be modified to meet the standards of even the most demanding tactical situations. Look us up at maxcorpindustries.bandcamp.com or you can find us on Facebook. Contact us today for an additional 15% off of your purchase of any accelerated operant conditioning. Max Corp Industries. Changing the world one bite at a time. One bite at a time. Yeah. <laughs> 